gambling. Simply put, it's defined as a verb meaning to play games for the chance of money. And whether you've hit a jackpot or not, gambling has rooted itself in our culture for the past 4,000 years. They're not bad diggers. You think they're loaded against the player? My word, they are. We all know gambling can make... Look, just out of curiosity, which casinos did you geniuses pick to rob? The Bellagio, the Mirage, and the MGM Grand. Or break. The defendant is guilty of first-degree murder. Of killing Abraham Shakespeare to get and keep his lottery winnings. But what's the history? How did we start and how did gambling get to where it is today? There's momentum going for a ban on sports betting advertising. Young people are unable to differentiate now between sport and gambling. The point is not like to get more. The point is to earn and then get so more. Looking for the dopamine you get from the hits. That's right. Well, let's go for broke, let the chips fall where they may, and for all the marbles, let's learn some things about gambling. Let's play some black cat. Wellity, wellity, wellity. Welcome to Learning Tinks, where I pick a topic and we learn some things about it. It really is as simple as that. This episode is available as a video or as a podcast, so pick your poison, but as always, share it with your friends. Don't be selfish. So we've been gambling since before written history, and in fact, allegedly, a lot further back than that. In the Paleolithic period, there's evidence of human beings gambling. And if you're not totally familiar with what the Paleolithic era was known for. Um, it was when humans upgraded to stone tools, which was huge from us, actually, making some big moves. And uh, gambling's been there since then. So let's get into it. There are six-sided die that, or die, dice, dice? I'm not here to get into the politics on whether or not it is die or dice, but there have been six-sided die found in 3000 BCE in Mesopotamia, and playing cards first appeared a thousand years ago. Confucius himself said, people who gamble are better than those who have nothing to do. <laughs> Not seen that one on a fridge magnet yet. Now you could argue that the existence of these items didn't necessarily mean that humans gambled, and that's fair, except you're wrong, because Humanity loves to play, but we particularly love to play for something. We're very competitive beings. It seems that that competitive nature is just our in our human nature. Whether or not they initially started just for fun, you can pretty much guarantee that there were stakes on the line pretty quickly. So the evidence of these items, I'm not the only one. There are scientists who agree with me say that we were gambling since fucking before stone tools. Cool from us. Hectic. Ancient Egyptians were thought of as the first culture to actually gamble for money. That isn't to say that other people weren't gambling. Ancient China was absolutely having some fun of their own in the gambling world, but it was more for things like livestock or items or expensive things. But seeing as Egypt was the first culture to actually put their money where their mouth is, we'll start here. The evidence of gambling in Egypt is really strong and goes back really far. They found dice in Thebes or Tebes or Tebes. I never know with the Egyptians. It really could be anything. Uh, but I'm going to go with Thebes. And they were made from the tusks of elephants. There was also evidence of a game that kind of resembled checkers. But on what we were saying a second ago, that just because these items existed doesn't necessarily mean that we were gambling with them. The strongest evidence that we have to support that ancient Egyptians were going ham 
is that there was writings in the papyri that basically consolidated a lot of the laws at the time. And there was a law that was preventing people from gambling. So the idea and the existence of a law like this suggests that gambling was so rampant that they had to do something to stop it. There was a law put in place. So that's the strongest piece that we have to say that they were loving it. They loved a slap. But it actually does go a lot deeper for Egypt. Gambling is present in their religion and mythology. They credit the god Thoth for the creation of gambling. And Thoth was the god that was responsible for looking at the 360-day calendar and going, hold on, I do think we need a little bit more wiggle room here. And so the story goes that he gambled with the moon and the moon lost and he got an extra five days. And we have the 365-day calendar. Now, China does have 4,000 years worth of gambling under their belts, allegedly, but I'm too lazy to prove them wrong, so let's take it as fact. They saw gambling, however, as kind of like a a game of wit. It wasn't what we see gambling as today in terms of just like a get-rich-quick-scheme. Get get-rich-quick-scheme. The, the fun was more in outsmarting your opponent. They weren't so crazy about the money and that's probably why they weren't betting with money initially while ancient Egypt was they kind of just like bet on livestock and things like that but they too had to put laws in place to prevent people from gambling because it was becoming so rampant 4,000 fucking years ago during the Qin dynasty which only lasted 15 years but during that time if you got caught gambling you would actually end up with a punishment of either like a tattoo down the side of your face showing you as this like problem gambler and this delinquent in society or you would even get beaten with a wooden stave and you know to save you looking up what a wooden stave is like I did and wasted a good 14 seconds of my life it's just a fucking stick so whoever wrote that piece of information that I researched get a life call it a stick next time Then there was this huge cultural shift and it went from being a way to outsmart your opponents and a game of the mind to just being a get-rich-quick scheme as gambling was inevitably going to end up as. And what was it? It said it was initially a noble cognitive pastime for the aristocratic class and now it was just a chance to win money. In India, gambling goes back far enough to also be mentioned in their religious texts in the Mahayana, I believe it is. Check my notes. Ramayana. Glad I checked my notes. There is evidence of gambling in the form of dice and playing cards and chess. This is where I got the M from. In the Mahabharata, 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 let's go with Mahabharata. In the Mahabharata, which is a story about these five siblings. One of the siblings sets up a dice game against the eldest sibling and ends up gambling away his brothers, himself, and eventually his wife. And it drove him into slavery after losing all his wealth and kingdom. And Buddhism even refers to gambling as early as 300 BC, and they allegedly used these special nuts from a special tree. Now, let's get into one of the three aspects of gambling that we're covering today. The lottery, sports betting, and casinos. There are so many different types of gambling, but I feel that the three main players are these three, and they are the three oldest in our history as a society. So the lottery is simple. The rules are that it is the random drawing of a number for a prize. It's as simple as that. 
Obviously, with lotteries these days, there is more of a rule and there's a bigger set of prerogatives in terms of how you can win the big prize. You usually have to pick all fucking 36 numbers in the row to win, which is why I've never been particularly successful at the lottery, but I will persevere. But originally, it really was just the drawing of a number or a few numbers to win a prize. But the history of lotteries actually really fascinates me because while... As I just said, it's kind of impossible to win the lottery these days. We recently had a lottery of like $100 million and I heard the odds on the radio. It was like one in 100 million. That was the odds. Those were your odds when you put $20 down on one ticket to win that prize. But lotteries initially weren't like that. It was actually a win-win for society and for the government. So you know those like charity lotteries you'll see where you might buy a ticket for a house or for a sum of money or a car or whatever to support a charity or a hospital. Lottos were initially basically that. It was a win-win for the person buying the ticket and from the government. They weren't run by private entities. They were actually run by the governments. The first recorded lottery was found out because of Kino slips that they found in the Han Dynasty in 205 BC. And this is where I mean it's fascinating because that lottery was said to have helped fund the Great Wall of China. And that theme will continue. A lot of this early lottery history across the world helped build the world as we know it today. So in medieval times, lotteries were held for the sole purpose of town fortifications and to help the poor. And there's evidence in 1445 in Le Cluse of a lottery that was referring to town fortifications to build walls and to help the poor. And this value of the prize was about just over 1,700 florins, which in today's terms is worth just over 200,000 US dollars. The Netherlands absolutely loved their Powerball, and the name lottery actually comes from the Dutch word lot, which means fate. Over in the United Kingdom around 1566, Shakespeare was celebrating his second birthday and probably growing in some beautiful medieval spiky little baby teeth. And Queen Elizabeth I was about to start the very first lotto ever run by the government in the United Kingdom. So over 400,000 tickets were sold and the tickets cost 10 shillings, which at the time was about three weeks worth of wages, which is a pretty big deal to enter a lottery. But they weren't just gambling for the chance at winning the money. There's actually something else, and I'll get to that later. So three years later, when Shakespeare's spiky little medieval teeth were probably already starting to rot and fall out, the grand prize of £5,000 was drawn, which today is worth just under £2 million. Inflation, innit? The point of the lottery was for the reparation of the havens and strength of the realm and towards such other public good works, which basically just means that they wanted to buy a bunch of new ships for the royal fleet and repair some ports. Groundbreaking. This is what I mean when I say that it wasn't just money that this lottery was giving people. Everyone who bought a ticket was granted immunity from one arrest, so long as it wasn't murder, a felony, or treason or being a pirate. So you basically got a get-out-of-jail-free card just for playing fucking Powerball. They don't do it like they used to. So in colonial America, when you guys were still technically under the power of Britain, between 1744 and 1776, there were allegedly over 200 lotteries in North America that actually did fund roads, libraries, universities, churches, 
like lotteries built a lot of North America and where it is today. In fact, Princeton and Columbia were said to have been funded originally by a lottery. That's why I find it fucking fascinating. Don't bully me. So at the time, just to finish up lotteries, there weren't really taxes. People didn't pay taxes. They didn't want to. I respect them for that. So when they started to realize that this was basically just an interest-free loan to the government, they started to get a bit wary of lotteries, just assuming there were hidden taxes. And to that I say, suck it up, sweetheart. At least you got a fucking prize for paying yours. Moving along to sports betting, which too has its roots fucking deep and a fucking long time ago. It is said that betting on sports was present in the 23rd Olympiad in 676 BC. Gladiator fights were fucking huge in gambling and people were said to have made a lot of money on Russell Crowe. But of course, one of the earliest forms of sports betting has to be horse racing. It's not has to be as in I'm guessing. I, I know it's horse racing, but I, I just wanted to sound a bit more con- conversational, you know. So the first official horse racing betting event was allegedly in 1539 in the UK and they loved it so much. It was organized by the royals. They had a huge hand in all of this. They brought it over to North America in the 1600s. By the 1800s, it was pretty much widespread across the UK and North America. Now, because it was run by the royals, it was basically, you know, aimed and only catered to the upper high class people of society, lower class and poor people just didn't have the money to place a trivial bet on a horse. So when professional baseball started to take hold in the late 1800s, when the National League was born, sports betting really cemented its place in our society. Americans loved to bet on baseball. You guys loved it. It was in its early stages and it was so much fun, so much so that the players ended up throwing their games for the sake of the odds. I'm going to talk about cricket for a second here because while cricket doesn't have a huge place in the whole sports betting and gambling discussion, this story is hysterical. Listen. So the Brits brought the delicious game of cricket over to India in the 1720s and it took hold pretty much immediately. If you know anything about India, apart from it being beautiful, they love cricket. Their cricket players are like genuine celebrities and superstars to them. And when cricket first came over, they loved it so much and they were betting so much on it and getting absolutely fucking rabid for it that they ended up actually having to ban gambling across the nation. That is still in effect today. It is illegal to gamble in India, but cricket is not illegal. And the IPL or the Indian Premier League, which is basically just their, you know, NFL for cricket, is... Absolutely massive. It only runs for seven weeks, and yet the broadcasting rights go for $4.3 billion every year. And the highest salary for one of these players is $2.26 million just for seven weeks of play. They absolutely love it over there. So this group of con men in India decided to stage the IPL, a fake one, to swindle money out of Russian gamblers. And they absolutely succeeded, which only makes what I'm about to tell you even funnier. So this fake IPL was on a farmland. They just had to find an oval and make a pitch and then hire all the labourers to pretend that they were IPL superstar cricket players. And remembering what I said when I say cricket is king in India, everyone knows how to play cricket. They absolutely love it. All they need is a stick and a ball or a crushed up piece of paper and they will go ham for it. So all of these labourers were like, fucking oath, 
I'll stop working. Let's go play some cricket. So they broadcast these games and they had a fake umpire standing there in white. They even had a fake commentator who was just mumbling nonsense over the commentary. And the betting occurred over a WhatsApp group, I believe, because it was broadcast privately. They managed to swindle thousands of dollars out of these Russian gamblers. So not that Russia doesn't know what cricket is. They have the game. They technically play it. It's just not nearly as big as, say, ice hockey or weightlifting over there. So I suppose you could find some gamblers who just have absolutely no idea what cricket is. To rub salt in the wound, the cricket was awful. No offense to these laborers. You play much better cricket than I ever could, but it's not the IPL. Secondly, this whole event happened two weeks after the official IPL had actually ended. So that's why I think it's hysterical, because... You can't help stupid. And at this point, that's just Darwinism. You're both of you nuts. I know more about casino security than any man alive. I invented it, and it cannot be beaten. So we have a special guest. It is none other than it. It, James. It, me. And uh, because I have never been one to take a bet, uh, it felt wrong to do a video on gambling and casinos for this next part without having someone who is a little bit of a trained and seasoned expert. So he's here to help, but first of all, the history of casinos. So the first casinos were built in Italy in the 1600s. It was the Renaissance period, and it was a time where they were going through the motions of creating a beautiful new world, and they were ready to spend the hard-earned money that they had earned at the casino. It was called the Il Ridotto, Say it in the most Australian accent possible. <laughs> Il the Il Redotto. It was called the Il Redotto, which means the private room. And while it technically wasn't called a casino, it met all of today's requirements for being a casino. Like there was a dress code. You actually had to wear a mask. I don't think they need an, mean an N95 one. I think they mean like a genuine like, like a masquerade festive. thing. Right. And uh, you had to order something from the bar, from the menu, which is funny because these days they just give it to you for free as long as you're gambling the italians they do it right yeah you had to be like privileged or upper class to be involved expendable income basically but it wasn't for another hundred years until europe saw its big boom for casinos so le grand casino de monte carlo i'm actually not sure what accent that's meant to really hone in on i love how you did the il rodato il rodato and then you really lean into the, the le monte grand casino de monte carlo it was opened in 1856, which is a very fucking long time ago. And there's a little bit of history there where it wasn't, it isn't today where it was initially. It actually went bankrupt. And like the whole reason it was started was to save this family from going bankrupt. And long story short, I think it worked. But so in the mid 1800s, around the time when the Grand Casino de Monte Carlo was opened again it doesn't really sound french how do you say it in a french accent you're french i couldn't do a french accent to save my life really go on a uh, casino de monte carlo that was good that was fucking dreadful that was good okay so every time i have to say le grand casino de monte carlo i will divert to you you gotta get the phlegm yeah, you really, yeah you, you really do. You really do. I need to have some ice cream or something before I smoke say a it. few cigarettes before you speak French. <laughs> so in the mid 1800s, the Princess of Monaco at the time, Princess Caroline, made it a law that anyone local to the region of Monaco can't gamble in De Monte Carlo. The idea there was just so that all of the profits that were coming in were guaranteed to be coming from foreigners, so that the 
people of Monaco weren't going to succumb to the negatives of gambling because we, they did know in the mid-1800s that gambling was awful. It's been around oh, for yeah. 4,000 years and there are, rule, there are laws in religious texts 4,000 years ago. Which brings us to Monaco being a tax haven. Yeah, we need to move to Monaco. Well, I don't know how they are a tax haven. Because when we first spoke about this, and this is one of the reasons why James is in this, is because I, when I was talking about my research to him, he was very confident in saying that it's a tax haven because of the casino, right? Yes, that's my understanding of it. So to cover why they're a tax haven first and foremost, it doesn't collect personal income tax or capital gains tax. There are no property taxes except rental properties, and it's still only 1% of the annual rent that is taxed. It's fair. And they eliminated taxes on dividends paid by local companies, which is basically just anyone who is a shareholder in a company in Monaco. They don't get taxed on the dividends they make from those shares. That's insane. So given that we know they're a tax haven, obviously they have to make their money somehow, and we know that they make their money via tourism, like the casino, which is what your understanding of why Monaco is a tax haven. Yes. Guess what percentage of Monaco's income is yearly from tourism? From tourism? The income? Yeah. So if they're a tax haven because of tourism, what do you think the percentage is that allows them to be a tax haven due to tourism? 63.5%. 15%. What? Guess what the casino is of that 15%? 14. 4% of that... Fi- 4%. No, yeah, see, that's that's weird to me. I know. And that's weird to me as well, because going into this, we have to cover the Monte Grand Casino de Monte but we can't cover that without covering the fact that the reason they have the casino and the reason it's so great is it's, it allows them to be a tax haven. But how could it be... <laughs> How could it be their saving grace Such if it's a little only 4% of their annual income as a nation? Maybe the Monaco Grand Prix is just like 98%. <laughs> yeah, so in the early 2000s, they did an investigation into the lax laws that Monaco have in terms of money laundering through the casino. And they basically found that they didn't have enough resources to be monitoring all of them. Ah. Yeah, so there's some shady shit convenient. going on. Convenient. I also cannot find a clear answer on how much money they earn per year. Like, yeah, see, that's sus. I agree. Every website has a pretty standard number for, like, say, how much Las Vegas makes through their casinos. All the casinos, they have mm. to, like, publish it. But everywhere I go on the internet all has a different answer for how much the Monte Carlo kind of... Yeah, there's no clear answer. Some say like 14 million. I've seen some that are like 500 million. Some say 200 million. Yeah, half a billy seems right in profit. There's trillionaires in the world that are just like undocumented. So how many of those like sus billionaires? Apparently there's enough money laundering going on in that casino that... 80% of their profits were money laundering, so they had to just cancel it. When there's no legitimate data, there's nothing legit on the books. <laughs> no, apparently not. Another curious fact about Le Monte Carlo Casino de Monte Carlo de, de Monaco is that they had to ban singing psalms in church because when people would go to church in the morning and the church would pick one of the 36 psalms to sing, 
those men would take it as a sign from above and they would go to the casino that night and put all their money on whatever number psalm that was played in church that day. What God would do. (laughs) But casinos have been responsible for breaking people's lives down, but they've also been responsible for saving companies. So there was this guy who had a company and um, it was going down really fast. He took the last $5,000 that the company had and went to Las Vegas and put it down on blackjack and he won $27,000, which covered the company's $24,000 fuel bill. Fuel bill? Where are you driving? Well, (laughs) and it kept the company alive for another week. And the company was FedEx. Yeah. When was this? I really couldn't tell you. I'll put it up here. I didn't do that FedEx. much research, apparently. Mr. FedEx just put his last 5K on red. Literally. Just and it saves going. the company. We wouldn't have FedEx if it weren't for Las Vegas casinos. What a time to be alive. What a time. But Las Vegas itself contributes to Nevada's $14.8 billion it made from casinos in 2022 alone. Holy fuck. Yeah, $14.8 billion. I wonder what percentage of people, like how much of that money came from people with wages below like 50K a year. And that's why Princess Caroline put that rule in for Monaco. Yeah. And that's why I think we should do it in Australia. Because now we are moving on to the psychology of gambling. (laughs) So in terms of what makes a casino addicting, um, it's pretty fascinating as they are designed to influence your behavior. If you haven't been to a casino, then... I can't help you. But if you have, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's a definite vibe when you walk in. It is definitely different to any other environment, except maybe a movie theater, now that I think about it. What similarities are you pulling there? It's dark. (laughs) (laughs) The visibility? Well, there's no windows. There is no windows. And that's a huge thing for for casinos. Um, These two guys, Bill Friedman and Roger Thomas, they set out these guidelines that are still followed by a lot of casinos in Las Vegas and across the world. They're never allowed to be windowed. According to Friedman, it allows them to be more cosy. No, it means you can't see the sunrise. Exactly. I've been at a blackjack table so long, the only way I knew the time is there was a little dude on like a carpet cleaning Zamboni thing. And he was vacuuming the casino floor as me and my mate were at the blackjack table. There was like nobody else in the casino but our table. So what time did that tell you that it was? Like 5.30 on a Monday morning. Did you have work that day? I had uni. I didn't go. (laughs) No, why would you? The labyrinth of the slot machines is intentional. You know how they lay them out in like rows? Yeah. It's intentional to so that people lose themselves. You try to exit and you have to walk past like 14 machines. On purpose? Yeah. And the bouncer insults you. What did he say to you, Jim? I've been insulted by a lot of bouncers for good reasons. One time a bouncer called me a dickhead because I tried to get in saying, oh, I've only had like three or four drinks and I had so much vodka cranberry down the front of my shirt, my white shirt. Like I was, I was basically wearing a red tie <laughs> of just... <laughs> Stained drinks. Beautiful. I don't see a problem there. So, and also everything in a casino is based on like sensory cues. So there's a lot of light. There's a lot of loud noises. Um, And by a lot of light, I mean like flashing LEDs, not sunlight. We've covered that. Mm. But they did a test and it, it works in a sense where it encourages humans to be more risky. How weird is that? 
So when you are at a poker machine, when you hit a jackpot, you'll get pretty lights. Mm -hmm. You'll get fun noises. Mm -hmm. The Irish one is fun. It's like fireworks. All all of the above. Yep. And apparently the science there is that it encourages you to be more risky because you have to take a risk in order to get that reward. That makes sense. And apparently it works on rats. They tested it with rats with like, I don't know if they had food or something, but they gave them some kind of stimuli where if they took a risk and it paid off, they would get pretty lights and sounds and they went rabid for it. Oh, God. They loved it. So it works on rats as well. And that's... I mean, we are pretty stupid. And then, I mean, just on crypto gambling, it's projected. How much do you reckon that's worth? Knowing that the state of Nevada made, you know, just under $15 billion in 2022. Yeah, I'm going to say like half a trillion. It's getting there. It's at 90. It's projected to reach 93 billion by the end of this year, 2023. I I was a fucking significant portion off. Yeah. But But. that's still an extraordinarily higher number than the whole state of Nevada made in a year. And it makes sense. It's online. You can do it. So easy. In your pajamas. You can rinse $100 in like four seconds without even getting off the toilet. We, one of James's mates, introduced us to this German gambling um, (laughs) game called Crazy Time. And it's basically just like a German host that spins a big wheel and on the wheel there's just a bunch of different outcomes and Mm. you just sit there playing on an overlay on the broadcast so it's so immersive and so fun and we had to go through so many hoops to be able to put money into this german system (laughs) oh it was very illegal for us to be on it (laughs) but they still got us we had to put a vpn on vpn we had to find german addresses to make these accounts we had to go through a special website to buy gift cards just to play on this site. The ATO is going to bust down our door any second. For what, though? Sue me. I spent $100 on some pretty lights. Yeah, I mean, we didn't win anything. Oh, that's true. We really didn't win anything. It was fun, though. You never do. But the psychology of gambling is funny. There's the, this thing called the gambler's fallacy, which I'm sure you're very aware of. And this is where I split. So the gambler's fallacy is just that, you know, if it landed seven times on red... On that eighth time, surely it's going to hit black. Oh, yeah. I, I used to love that mentality. Yeah. And so that's that's why you're here, because I don't have that. I've never really gambled in a casino. I don't have a problem with gambling. I have many problems with many other things. Gambling just isn't one of them. And so when I go into a casino, it's like, I know I'm not going to win, so I don't play. Yeah. See, that's, that's the difference. When I went into a casino, when I was like 18, 19, I had already spent the money that I was planning on winning. Oh, like in my head, I was like, all right, I'm going to win like $1,500 and then I'm going to buy a PC tomorrow. Oh, so you went in with a number. Yeah. Like you had a plan. You were going to win a certain amount of money. Yeah. That's fascinating to me. I would take a hundred bucks in. That would be the start. And then once that's gone, you're either up like a few hundred or you're completely down and then you just get out like 200. And then they start vacuuming the floors and all of a sudden it's Monday morning and you've got to go to a music class. Fuck. Um, They found out that gambling addiction has the same neural processes as drug addiction, which makes sense to me. Fuck yeah. But it's time we talk about the negative impact. And this is a stat that didn't surprise me, but did disappoint me. Australia has the highest number of losses per individual in the world. 
that's not a number one you want to be like, no. known for. No, like, and that's not Most one. Most losses. And I would, I would go as far to say as I think that is would be a shock to a lot of people. Yeah, it's just like, God damn it, boys. Can we just, can we just. You are boys. Yeah. And I am definitely down in my lifetime of gambling, as is pretty much every single person I know. You can only go up from here, James. The problem is, everybody quits before they start winning. <laughs> Quitters never win. You seen that photo of the dude that's like, he's like uh, oh, yeah, mining, mining through a tunnel, mining. and he's like turning back and the next just guy as the diamonds? is just about to fucking hit that's diamonds. Me. I could have, I could have been a millionaire right now if I kept on betting on the dogs. This company called H Two Gambling Capital. I'm citing my sources a study on how much Australians are losing per year. And this frightens me. Individuals in Australia lose $1,200 each to gambling. And that scares me because I don't gamble. Yeah, that's would, a big average. My average per year is probably at the absolute most $150. And it's for lottery tickets. Because every three months, I'll remember that the lottery exists and I'll buy $30 worth of tickets. It'll get up to $100 million. Every third person in Australia will buy a ticket and then everyone will be sad the next day when one person from like the Central Coast wins. Or oh, fucking Bankstown the other day. Oh. Yeah, one guy. You could buy the entirety of Bankstown for $100 million. With change. That scares me because my number is so low individually, someone else has to be bringing that average up. Pretty much every person every apprentice or tradesman under the age of 34 is bringing that average up and they must be bringing it up really high like if, oh, my, yeah. if that makes my average twelve hundred dollars a year they're losing probably like 15 grand okay so this is another scary fact about australia's problem new south wales the state of new south wales loses more money per individual to gambling than any other jurisdiction in the world Really? Really, really. Even more than like Vegas? We are second in the world to the amount of slot machines to Vegas in New South Wales. I mean, I'm surprised we're second. Like that is just scary to me to think that if New South Wales isn't a tourism option for gamblers, it just means that New South Welshmen are just spending all their money. Yeah. Casually. I suppose we are doing something about it, though. There's these funny ads in Australia at the moment where, like, because we have loads of gambling ads on TV, and instead of making gambling ads illegal, they've made it a legal requirement that at the end of these ads, they have to have this, like, warning where it's, like, a black screen, and it's like, you're probably going to lose. Call this number for help. You suck at placing bets. Don't do it. <laughs> Literally. US ranks at the top for the highest losses. Okay. Okay, sorry. <laughs> How is that going to help? That kind of makes sense. Yeah, um, they suffer allegedly $100 billion in losses due to gambling every year. And of those who gamble regularly, this is where it gets sad. They owe individually between 55 to 95K a year. <gasps> yeah, like so they have gambling problems in debt. See, that's, that's like addiction, addiction. Yeah, that scares me. Um, and 50% of those with a gambling addiction commit a crime to support it. Did I commit a crime to pursue gambling? It could be as simple as taking $15 out of your mom's purse or something. I never did that. I did, but not for gambling. That was for lollies. Thief! People are so psycho that um, Florida had to introduce this bill where they have to keep the names of the lottery winners private for up to 60 days. That's good. 
Well, yeah, because this guy in Florida who won the lottery, um, he was really nice about it because he was just like a down-to-earth guy, apparently, and he started giving away money to kind of like anyone who would ask for it. He'd just give them a little bit of money from his winnings. Mm. And then this woman tried to take advantage of him, and she was like, I want to write about your experiences, and she moided him. She just wanted it more. (laughs) I read a story about this guy in the 80s who won $5 million, which isn't that much to win no. in the lottery, but in the 80s, like, you know, 5 million. That would have US. been like 20 mil. That's 20 houses right there. That is true. Where it completely changed his life. He went from being a dishwasher to like... A real boy? Living lavish. He got married twice and then he got divorced twice and then he ended up as a minister. Now you've got to ask yourself where you are in life if you're becoming a minister. He's broke is what he is. Yeah, because he lost He all ran money. out of... He lost... Yeah. <laughs> He needed a place to stay. The church is, was welcoming. Jesus. Jesus, help, help me. I want to pick your brain. I want you to explain to me why. Like, why did you consistently, were you winning? Because if you're winning. No. Because I know that some people gamble and they, they are winning. They're just technically losing more than they're winning. So that, yeah. that winning mentality drives them to keep going. Yeah. Yeah. It was definitely like that. First of all, all my mates were gambling. Yeah. I could just turn $100 or whatever my paycheck was for that week into like $1,000. Then I'll be living sweet. How often did that happen? It happened a few times, but probably like four out of 60 or 70 nights. Yeah. And so I tried to find some like positives that gambling brings to the world. (laughs) (laughs) I know. That paragraph that is, a is long like this big. It's fucking tiny. Yeah. And the only thing that I could find was that even though India has banned gambling, the crypto gambling has created thousands of jobs for web designers and software product designers and things like that in, in India who work from home doing that. So, like, that's the only thing that I can think of. Fair creates jobs. But so did World War Two. So. Yes, it did. I don't know where we move forward as a society with gambling. I don't think I particularly care. I just don't want to see people. It sucks to see. It's not a nice thing to see someone you know lose it all to gambling. But, yeah, thank you very much to James Bond for joining us for this portion of Learning Tings. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, please like, share, subscribe with your friends. I mean, subscribe, like, share with your friends. And I will see you next time. That was, that was really well done. Thank you.